welcome to The Geek in Review, the podcast focused on innovative and creative ideas in the legal profession. I'm Marlene Gaybauer. And I'm Greg Lambert, and uh, I'm fresh back off the plane, uh, 2.30 in the morning, arrival time back from Boston. Ooh. Yeah, it was, uh, it was terrible. Road warrior. Uh, I, I know more about the, because uh, I had a uh, layover in Baltimore, so I know a lot of at the Baltimore airport now. More so. than anyone should More really know. More than anyone should know, yeah. So, but it was a great conference. Uh, 1,800 of my closest friends uh, showed up there. <laughs> Literally, they are yeah. 1,800s of his closest <laughs> yeah, friends. Yeah, my, my wife and my sister-in-law always tag along with me, and so uh, they noticed that I can go about 7 to 12 feet at a time before getting stopped by the next person to, to catch up. And so uh, they, they've just decided to stop even being around me and they just go out and do their own thing so which is which is probably best for everybody and i should let everybody know that we're actually recording from the ion today in in downtown houston uh, the ion is a innovation hub area for uh, a lot of startups and other innovators so uh, we've been here before and in fact we've actually interviewed uh, Joey Sanchez, who basically runs the place. (laughs) So uh, we're happy to be back here again. Yeah. uh, Our our original plan of uh, drinking beer and and podcasting fell through. That was Greg's plan. So we decided. It's never my plan. No, no. It's always his plan. It's always my plan. So (laughs) if you hear beer, you know it's me. So. We are also very happy to have Ashley Carlisle, CMO at Hyperdraft, and Tony Tai, founder and CEO and chief engineer of Hyperdraft, back on the show. Ashley and Tony, welcome back to the Geek and Review. Thanks for having us. Happy to be here. And, and by the way, Greg, I'll, I'll be joining you on the on the drinking side. There so. you go. <laughs> so uh, back in January, we talked with both of you uh, about the hype around generative AI, and we even titled the uh, episode "Chat GPT: If It Sounds Too Good to Be True." So we've had six months since then, and. Uh, Marlene and I have recorded more than 25 episodes of the Geek and Review since then, and most of those on the hype uh, generative AI. So we kind of kind of made this arrangement when we talked to you initially that we wanted to bring you back on, and uh, so let's figure out where we are in the discussion. And you know, before we do get into that discussion on generative AI, uh, what's been going on at Hyperdraft since we last talked in January? I know you've been busy, and we've been trying to get you both on the pod for about two months now, so I'm glad we were able to arrange it. I, I hear not all of that was hyperdraft-related. That's though. true. Some of it was some of it was personal stuff, so that's good. Ashley, anything new in your life? <laughs> yeah, you want to share with you. all our well, listeners. <laughs> well, thank you for your patience, and Tony can go into this in more detail because this is you know hyperdraft is our whole team's baby, but really like, you know his original baby since what 2018, 2017. It has been a busy few months for us. We really are scaling because our customer base has grown, which we're very appreciative of. But, you know, just trying to make sure because we do customization for every client that everyone's getting kind of the level of service that we like has been a lot. So thank you for your patience (laughs) as we kind of go through our pipeline that way. Um, But yes, I went on my honeymoon. So happy to be back. Um, Congratulations. Yes, thank you so much. And um, just as a brief intro as to who Tony and I are, because I know Tony's probably not going to go into that. Um, We are both former corporate attorneys. We met at Goodwin Proctor and Hyperdraft. We are a trusted legal tech partner that works for law firms, legal departments, providing AI-powered document and workflow generation. So we get a lot of questions about generative AI. And, um, you know, we got a lot of questions and comments after being on your podcast in January, too, because I think 
were of the mindset that you should be honest in the hype cycle. When it comes to legal tech, you know, I think there's a lot of people in legal tech that are just like, we have to evangelize everything and only say the positive because we don't want lawyers to, you know, not be interested or freak out. But I think Tony and I are of the belief that if we're not honest, then people don't actually get the tech literacy that they need to make informed choices and actually have digital transformation within their organizations. So, um, yeah, to answer your question, I think everyone's burnt out on the AI <laughs> chat to some extent. Oh, yeah. I wish um, that were true. <laughs> I think we're at kind of the end of the hype cycle, but it has been an interesting one. And Tony, I don't know if you want to jump in there. I know you have a lot of thoughts. Yeah. Well, yeah. Tony, Ashley's yeah. been very busy, but uh, what what about you? And, and I don't do anything. That's when what I Ashley's. thought. That's what I thought. <laughs> yeah. I, as you know now from personal experience, everything grinds to a halt when Ashley's not around. I would say that the last few months, especially after we had our initial chat in January, a lot of clients come to us and ask for more consultative services around learning about AI, how they can apply it in their business. And yeah, I would say that that's taken up a good chunk of time that we didn't anticipate kind of going into this year and, and coming out from last year. And I would say the other part of like what's kept us busy is you know, as you know, the legal tech sales cycle takes quite a long time. And so all the seeds that we planted over the last few years have started to sprung. And so we're, we're starting to onboard just a great number of clients um, nowadays, as opposed to just planting seeds. My opinion on the, the hype cycle, huh? Uh, yeah. We, um, I mean, you know, I don't think it's quite died out yet. I still see a lot of posts about it. I still see a lot of activity, especially as a nerd engineer on GitHub, which is what we use to kind of figure out what are popular projects, still a lot of AI talk. But what I, I think has started to happen a little bit more of, and I'd, I'd be curious in your guys' opinion, what you're seeing in the market as well, is that the general population has kind of been saturated with at least a baseline um, level of knowledge. And so now that they kind of know what it is, now they're thinking, okay, great, there's a solution. Where is the problem that we need to fit this into? So I think that that's why it's been a little bit more quiet in terms of the, the hype that's been coming out is, is just like consumers, the, the buy side of the equation is figuring out, is this an actual solution for a problem that we have? What was the problem in the first place? And that's what we've spent, been spending a lot of our time talking to the folks about. To add on to that point, I think another thing we didn't realize was, which makes sense, hype cycles also can lead to just misinformation bubbles. And so a lot of times people come to us with questions and they think they know what they're asking or they think they have kind of, you know, the technology they want for a certain use case. And we've been surprised at how much like education people need and they want. And so I think that's going to be a big thing in the next couple of years is I don't know if it's companies popping up or, you know, us doing more consultative stuff and other companies doing that, too. But, um, you know, we're hoping that that misinformation can be corrected because it helps us and them. <laughs> Tony gets a lot of weird questions that him and the engineers just like are like, wait, what? Where did you get this? Like, it's that's not right. <laughs> it's equivalent of like showing up to your doctor and saying, hey, I Googled what's wrong with me and I think that this is the answer. And that is useful in some respect, but not when you're adamant that, you know, I need this or I want to do this. Our, our GC, who I, yeah, we, uh, Marlene and, and Greg have met, Sean, has said like, we'll show up selling a car and they, they'll ask like, hey, does it fly yet? And our whole point is, 
your current mode of transportation is walking, uh, we're offering you a vehicle and you're asking for flight. So it's, it's, there's a, there's a quite a disconnect. Yeah. Well, between the, the misinformation and then just sort of, I, I mean, are you finding that people just aren't really sure about what they want just because it's such a new technology and then, you know, people just don't fully understand it and, you know, are you seeing that, that there's some that kind of have some definite concrete use cases and they really know what they want and they can move forward? Or is it more people are just in exploratory mode and saying, you know, I want this, this, this thing and I want to be able to tell my clients that we have this thing, but they don't really have, they haven't identified, as, as you said, Tony, they haven't identified the problem that they want to solve with it. Yeah. I'm going to let Ashley take the first stab at this because I worry that I go into rant mode. You uh, will. Because there's something, it's a great question because we've gotten both. In fact, this week alone, Tony and I have been in conversations with major law firms or, you know, Fortune 10 companies where have different perspectives on this. I think the main theme we're seeing is there people in law firms or in legal departments are getting a lot of pressure from um, other people in their organization being like, you need to be on top of this. Like, I need to know what's happening in AI and how we're going to use it. And people have different responses to that based on what they know. And so some people come to us and they're like, we know this, blah, blah, blah. And we're like, well, your assumptions on this are wrong, but we can kind of clean this up and figure this out for you. Or people come to us and they're like, so I know I need to use this. Please tell me like the business case and the use case. And basically every soundboard that I should tell to my board and both have been very interesting conversations. We've had like a litany of each, but it is very interesting to see how legal is being pressured to use legal tech or AI, which I think a lot of us vendors are secretly happy. As you know, like the adoption cycle for legal tech has been slow for, what, 30 years now. So it's nice to have kind of a tipping point, but it does lead to a lot of awkward conversations <laughs> to start with. Where, where do you think that pressure is coming from? I think it's coming from the fact, and Tony has spoken about this when we talk to these people, they're just now realizing um, a lot of the management of firms or of these big organizations that AI has been used in maybe their R&D department, their engineering department, their development department, and that there are a lot more business use cases that they realized and that legal being a cost center should be something that's also focusing on this. Yeah, let me add just a touch. I think what's really frustrating in the in the hype cycle is when and i've said this like numerous times now i said like with prospective clients i always tell them hey come up with a wish list of features and problems that you want to solve for send them out to all the prospective vendors and then any vendor that says they can solve all of them you should remove them from your list because <laughs> that's just not the way that it works right like anyone that promises you everything under the sun isn't going to deliver on it but the most important thing that i think is hard for many organizations to hear is you must put in the work to get something out of it, right? Like there is no magic bullet. AI does not solve that, right? AI does not solve for the fact that your team is disorganized or slow to move or slow to standardize, right? And then when we talk about generative AI, this is where I get really ranty is, you know, you hear about all this, like, hey, let me generate these, these provisions, these documents, all this custom generation uh, especially randomly seeded generation. That's, you know, what this, a lot of this generative AI does is the antithesis of standardization, right? If I generate the same legal concept and I'm trying to, you know, explain it via some contractual provision, 50 different ways, I've not standardized crap. And so what, well, I spend a lot of time talking to clients saying like, 
hey, it's good to like develop a system, do the gap analysis, and then figure out how AI can be applied to the process. But we got to be thinking in, in a process-oriented fashion and in a view of standardizing the process as opposed to saying like, hey, I got a really cool toy. I want to use it everywhere. We see it all the time too when it comes to engineers. When I teach a junior engineer a new pattern of writing software, you see them write it everywhere, even if it doesn't work that way. And the same thing applies with lawyers. Like you teach a lawyer a, a neat provision or a way to write something, you see it plastered everywhere. That's just the nature of you know new technology or uh, uh, you know, new learnings. But um, at the end of the day, what needs to happen is people need to be willing to do the work. And what I'm glad to see with AI is it's opening people's eyes and, and their willingness to put in the work so that they can get the output they that they desire. I like the point that you raised about, um, you know, if a, uh, you know, vendor says, okay, we're going to satisfy all of your pain points that, that, you know, you should throw them out right away. Are you seeing that, that firms and organizations are starting to recognize that perhaps it's not going to be like one size fits all type of solution. You're not going to buy like one thing or apply one thing in terms of generative AI that, you know, you may have a lot of different points of AI, whether that be through trusted vendors, whether that be, um, you know, a, a model that you train yourself, whether that be something that's commercial that you purchase. Um, are you seeing any of that? And what are your thoughts about that? I think the bulk of firms are not even remotely there in, in, in that thinking, right? It's so nascent in terms of the build versus buy versus acquire uh, calculations that they, they need to do. They're not even thinking that way. I got off the phone last week with a, I would say, top 10 law firm that um, told me that they're going to wait for the perfect solution. That was the, their like, exact <laughs> phrase, right? Like, wait for the perfect solution, which made me chuckle because I'm like, that's just not how it works. <laughs> yeah, good luck. Right. Yeah, that's, um, that's, that's, I think that comes out in, in Q3, right? Yeah. Is that Q4? Yeah. yeah the perfect and solution. I cycle again. <laughs> <laughs> Q3 of 2030, maybe? Yeah. Yeah. yeah no. So, I, yeah, I don't think folks are quite there yet. I, I, don't, I don't mean to bash these organizations. It, it's the nature of running a large organization. You have to get consensus amongst the team, and it, it's slower moving. I think that's largely why, kind of segueing over to Greg's point on build versus spy versus acquire, like Thomson Reuters decided to acquire, does that surprise us? Not really in the sense that, you know, Thomson Reuters is a massive organization for them to decide on a dime pivot or not pivot, but start to, to develop their own in-house AI that's competitive and as focused as the case text teams is, would be, you know, nearly impossible. So I thought it was a, good move by them to to pull on the expertise and the team that they need to to really round out their um their offerings yeah you know were you were you guys surprised by this or did you think you know this type of acquisition merger is what was going to happen and do you think you'll see more of it uh, in the future so i had heard rumblings but i had both reactions at first i looked at the price and i was like oh that's good for our industry um, at first. And then I thought about it more and I was like, should the price be more? I'm not quite sure. Um, I know Tony as an M&A attorney might have some more thoughts on that. But then the other thing that was interesting, you know, Bob Ambrosi does a great job of covering our industry. And right after the acquisition, he covered an investor call that was done um, by TR to its investors explaining the acquisition. 
And a lot of questions were basically on the premise of why case techs? You know, a lot of companies have like affiliations with OpenAI. Why them? And I was really happy with kind of the answers that the TR team gave. It kind of showed that they, I mean, we assume, but they know what they're doing. And their answers were basically with these large language models, it's all about data and kind of the right guardrails. And a lot of these other tools have been promised, but actually haven't been built like Harvey AI and a lot of this other stuff that's kind of been marketed widely. So I thought it was very smart of Case Text to be the first one to actually build something. I know they're currently in pilot with most firms before this news, but still to just have something, because I think that's another thing we talked to law firms and legal departments about is they just assume the stuff is already built. And a lot of times, a lot of this marketing and press is about things that are in beta or things that they can just merely sign up for. And so um, I thought it was very smart the way the Case Text team did it. And I know you guys have talked with, you know, some of their leaders. And I think we've always valued them as someone who's not afraid to do things before other people do and someone who really innovates in the space. So I think I'm curious to see how this acquisition impacts that part of their identity, because being a part of the TR family, that might be a little bit frictional to them kind of being the first mover in legal research. Um, and then the last thing, which is something we talk a lot about with our potential clients or people who have questions, is this kind of shows the limited use case of generative AI as it stands today. You know, Case Text is known for legal research. And with co-counsel, from what I've seen, um, it is legal research, data extraction, um, some summarization. And people are often surprised when Tony or other members of our team have to explain to them that that's really the best use cases for them at this point. Because people think it can do everything. And Tony can go into this, but based on how the model is based, generative AI is not great for all legal work. So I really think there's so many lessons from how Case Text has navigated this. Yeah, if you get a you know transactional attorney who's looking at that and they're like, well, you know that that's not important to me. It's like I want something that drafts, and and it's like yes, but this has been trained on you know trained to do legal research. It's been trained on case law, so you know that's what this this does right now. Yeah. Well, speaking of that, uh, that call that TR did announcing the, the acquisition, or, there was one kind of theme that, that they were saying throughout it, and I wanted to kind of get your opinion on this, was that uh, one of the reasons that they really wanted to, or that they found Case Tech's more attractive than the other ones that were out there was Case Tech's had this long-standing relationship with OpenAI. It was one of the first to get access to GPT-4 and start playing around with it. But do you think, you know, that as we as we see other large language models, whether it be Anthropic or Google Bard or Llama or any of these that come out, do you think that that, that advantage will, will quickly shrink? I think that the first mover advantage is useful for learning about how to build guardrails and, and the training and the moderation piece of it. But, um, yeah, I, I mean, depends on your definition of, yeah, way to give a great lawyer answer. Uh, it, it depends <laughs> on what your is, is. It, it depends on your definition of what, like, the competitive advantage is, right? Like, what does it mean for an LLM to be better than another model, right? Like, who's it, in, in whose opinion is it that one model is, quote, unquote, performing better than the next one, right? Are we giving it exams or, like, what, what is that standard? You know, from a statistical perspective, yes, we can kind of observe that and, and compare the, the numbers. But I think that 
with the um, release of like the Llama 2 models and, and more open source projects, I think that that competitive mode definitely gets smaller and smaller. I think that the advantages from being a first mover and had the opportunity to spend more time with clients and customers earning their trust and learning their use cases. That That's, in my opinion, the, the, the actual competitive mode, not just the partnership. I don't think that means much, if anything. What I'd say on, on the competitive mode side and the way that we are trying to gauge what is a good model or what, what it means to be good AI for usage is evaluating this last mile concept that I talked to a lot of our customers about, which is AI is really good except for the last mile. Last mile still needs to be managed by a human being who has judgment and the ability to to have intent and judgment. That that's you know made evident from the fact that you know you see those news articles about lawyers who are relying solely on ChatGPT to source cases, and then throwing them into memos. And, the, and these are not you know junior attorneys; they're seasoned attorneys that should know better to to do that kind of last mile double check yeah whose name now is a, is a verb yeah so <laughs> oh is it yes yeah. to schwartz up a brief yeah yep. that's to schwartz <laughs> oh, i'd still i feel bad for anyone last name schwartz um i didn't realize that was a thing but um that's that's pretty funny but yeah I, I would say that last mile is probably the point of conversation that i bring up a lot with with clients now is is for them to kind of take a step back and think like oh yeah what is that final mile when i say that something's approved, right? Uh, whether or not I'm reviewing a draft of a memo or a brief that needs to go out, should I be the last person or who should be the last person that makes that decision? That That's kind of an interesting point um, that we've realized that a lot of folks haven't thought about when it comes to AI. And then that actually lets them work backwards into figuring out what the good use cases are for, for, for AI. I, I had yeah. another question sort of pertaining to the hype cycle. So you know, initially everyone's like, yeah, 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 gotta have it, gotta have it, gotta have it. Like clients want you to have it. And, you know, now we're starting to see clients saying, well, wait a minute, I don't want you using any, I don't want you using that on my stuff at all. <laughs> and and so now we've kind of gone the opposite way. And, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, do we have a situation where we're gonna have to have a bunch of mini models that train on, on very discrete amounts of data and are, clients are our security folks are they ever going to be comfortable with you know whatever um, guardrails are, are put up and then if not sorry these are a lot of questions I'm giving you <laughs> um, and then if not how are we how are we going to take advantage of this technology great question Marlene I wish uh, I don't know what your availability is like, but I, I wish you could just join us on most of these calls because then you could I ask the questions that. That to the clients and then that, that would streamline the conversations a little bit more. <laughs> um, yeah, no, they're, they're, those are those are really good questions. Uh, I'll tackle them one at a time. Ashley, obviously jump in whenever. Um, so let, let's talk about like the ethics and confidentiality concerns. Mini models, yes. Like uh, you're starting to see it with the gatekeeping that's being done or the gates that are coming up with a lot of the data sources, right? Reddit, Twitter, you know, name the the, the aggregation source. Um, they're blocking open AI and, and a lot of these scrapers from being able to scrape that data uh, to feed into the models. The next natural progression of that is each one of those companies are going to offer their own model, right? and build their own model so that they can they can make use of their their content. 
Um, so yes, on the kind of uh, boom of mini models, I think that is definitely going to be a thing. But by the very nature of uh, machine learning, like you need massive data sets to train these models. Right. And so when your clients tell you, hey, you're not allowed to mix my data with other people's data, then it becomes a tunnel vision issue. Because if you ask a model, hey, have you seen this type of provision or you've seen this type of case or fact pattern before, and it tells you definitively, nope, never seen it. You don't know if the answer is because they've been segmented from this other client data or that's truly market information, right? My favorite aspect of working at major law firms is I think from a client perspective, everybody thinks that there's some sophisticated system that tells us transactional attorneys what a market provision looks like. But the answer to that and the dirty little secret is, and usually an email goes out to the entire firm wide saying, hey, I'm looking for this provision. Can anybody tell me what they think market is? Which is wild, right? This day and age, we haven't even figured that out. So that's the, the reason why I bring that up is I think the models are not going to be that much better in figuring out whether or not something is market or not with these kind of mini models going through. And then to, to segue into your other question of like, well, then how the heck do we make use of AI if it's not perfect? I, that's the stuff that Ashley and I deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. Worse, I, I think because we always had AI as a back office tool for us, we know how to interact with it, but we've never made it like a major premise of any service offering because at the end of the day, nobody cares how the sausage is made. They just want the result. And so I think that that shifts a lot of people's thinking into, okay, maybe I can't use machine learning here, but I know it can be automated. How do we do that? That starts a conversation with talking to engineers and realizing, oh, I could do this. I just don't get to do it the machine learning way. I just have to spend the time and the effort. I, I keep saying this, right? Like fundamental laws of physics apply. You cannot get something for nothing. And if you put in the work, then you can get an output that you desire. So if there's something that you feel should and could be automated, whether through AI or not, now is a time to be able to ask that question and then talk to the engineers and say, hey, can we do this with AI? And if not AI, you know, this machine learning, large language models specifically, can we do it some other way? Yeah. I'm, I'm just curious because I know we've been using AI on the back end on a lot of products, probably for the last seven years or so, maybe, maybe a little bit longer, but really, uh, you know, full force the last seven years or so. Does this hype around generative AI, so this slice of AI, does that kind of cool down the market for a number of advancements on the backend AI that may, you know, not maybe more extractive than, than generative? I'm, I'm just curious as, as a vendor, as you're developing products, you may have a, a solid source that you're using to help kind of tweak the back end to automate it, to use the AI in that way. And then all of a sudden, you know, in November, the, the switch gets flipped and everyone's talking about Gen AI, which may or may not help what you're doing at all. So, sorry, I was kind of a round roundabout question there, but hopefully you got, got the gist of it. No, I got it. I think it takes a lot of discipline and it's something that like Ashley and I and, and the rest of the team talk about a lot is to stay disciplined and um, focused on the end product. It's hard not to jump on the hype train uh, and you know, Ashley's actually stated this more, more uh, concretely than I have. Like 
with the vendors that have jumped on it so strongly out the gate, like it, it'll not look so great next year or the year after that. And so it's really about staying focused on the end product. And as we mentioned, like the end product for us and what we work on with a lot of our clients is that consultative approach of saying like, hey, what is what is the problem you think that you have that we're going to solve? Like, don't worry about the tools. The tools we as the vendor and as the engineers, we're going to worry about that. But the fact that somebody shows up and says like, hey, here's a wrench, paint my walls, it's not going to help us, right? Like if the problem is we need to paint the walls, we will deliver that solution for you. So a lot of it has to do with um, staying focused and then, um, you know, educating the client as, as Ashley has mentioned. In terms of like how it's, and I, I think this is part of your question, you tell me if it's not, but in terms of how like generative AI has affected AI research in general, it's only for the positive, which is fantastic. I would say the glimmer of, of hope and optimism that I've pulled from this is, is a sense that it's gotten people to read more and learn more about what's possible. What worried me and, and Ashley when we had this conversation in January is that people made it overblown and then over relied on it, which has already started to happen, right? But the education and, and the focus on AI, like that's fantastic. That leads younger generations and kids to want to learn about the stuff. If being able to generate a picture from just prompts, inspire someone to become an artist or to look into programming as a way of, of expressing themselves artistically, that's fantastic, right? Like I'm, I'm excited about that portion. Uh, do I think it, there are people in the academic uh, you know, research side that are not so happy with it? Absolutely. Because there's plenty of people that haven't talked about generative AI that much because they're like, dude, I've been busy, you know, developing uh, AI models that help solve actual problems, like figure out different uh, drug dosages for patients, which, you know, some of my friends are working on, as opposed to how do I generate a picture of a weenie dog holding a hot dog on a boat somewhere <laughs> right. You know, when we compare those those two problem cases, one seems ridiculous and the other one seems worthwhile. So hopefully we'll steer towards the more worthwhile um, ventures um, as the hype cycle dies. Well, now I feel bad for that uh, country music song that I had to create for me. So, <laughs> I mean, that's for our entertainment, though, right, Greg. Right, so right. That, that's all good. Um, I think one thing that I think I've joked with Tony about, but every day I just think it's true um, to echo with what he said. For our team, we kind of view Gen AI as the gateway drug to the AI stuff that we've tried to talk to lawyers about for years and they've just gotten bored. So that's good and bad. You know, open AI, and I think I mentioned this in January, um, but just my thoughts on it has kind of been cemented. They picked the marketing tenants for AI and executed it really well. Like the tenant of marketing of show, not tell, that is open AI and chat GPT in a nutshell. And so that's why it popped off. The good and the bad of that is the good, people want to learn more about Gen AI. They realize the limitations. They go over to the more AI side. Like Tony said, hopefully we can find a practical solution, maybe not what they originally thought. But also it kind of makes this weird juxtaposition because as someone that's watched Tony, obviously I'm not an engineer, but we've had conversations about how he's built our product over the years and how he's added on new things. From my understanding as non-engineer, the whole process of building ML models and adding these AI features is very unsexy. So the juxtaposition of ChatGPT coming in, being like a marketing darling and being very like flashy to the reality of everyday AI that people have been using in the background for years. For some people, it's a very weird conundrum. 
So in some ways it's great, but in other ways it kind of makes it awkward because Tony will tell you ML and AI, he did it before he even went to law school. It's a very unsexy like thing that requires a lot of patience. <laughs> Absolutely. I had a question about your thoughts regarding how Gen AI is sort of impacting kind of other technologies that we've seen in the industry, like um, expert systems or RPA or um, blockchain. Yeah, I, I would say it's it's uh, it, it has a negative approach. And the reason why I say this, okay, is like with RPA, right? Robotic process automation. If you know where you want to go, let's say we're, we're, we're driving a car, we're trying to get from point A to point B. And the solution set is, okay, I need to go to the grocery store. What streets do I need to do? And you know, what do I, what steps do I need to do to get to that grocery store? You have to learn it. You have to figure it out. You have to kind of reverse engineer it. And then you write a list of instructions for a person to go do it. Now with, with, you know, GPT and, and, and a lot of these, uh, you know, Gen AI models or LLMs that are focused on collecting all of this data and then making a statistical probabilistic estimate as to what the steps should be to get from point A to point B. It's just more wasted energy and more wasted time rather than just reading a damn map and saying, let, let me just go from point A to point B. And why risk doing the wrong thing. And when I bring this up, it, it you know, a lot of people are like, oh, Tony, you're just a hater. No, I'm not. I'm just, I, I would love to use it. The problem with it is, let's say we have an API, right? Let's say we have a banking API. And if I'm going to use ChatGPT and its plugins to transfer money, which has a non-zero chance of sending it to the wrong bank account, why the hell would I do that, right? Why not just read the documentation, know where I want to go, and then write the instructions down? It takes less time, less effort. As society, we're just so incredibly lazy that we want to be able to just say, oh, read my mind. We're incredibly <laughs> oh <God>. lazy. <laughs> I, mean, the, I mean, the other thing, it's the same thing applies when I talk about like, oh, Tony, can you make auto suggestions for me to respond on a, on a contract provision? Absolutely. I can make recommendations. It will never match your style perfectly. It will never match your intent. It cannot know your intent. And if you're going to write the damn intent down, then write the damn contract language down. That, that's, the, that's the most frustrating part is saying like, <laughs> hey, I want this. Just write it down. Just write it down, right? It's it's better than asking somebody else. That's me, like, like me saying like, hey, Ashley, can you write this down? No, just do it myself. <laughs> Anyways, uh, that's rant over. Yeah. I'm just so frustrated. Well, well Tony, I'm no. not really, I'm not sure I'm understanding your passion here. So. <laughs> well, I think Tony brings up a good point, which we see time and time again, that I don't know if vendors really talk about. I, they should. Um, obviously, Tony and I are former lawyers. We all know as former lawyers are working with lawyers that a lot of times lawyers do things to do things. You know, they don't think about working smarter. There's just like a way to do it. And unfortunately, when that comes to trying to figure out what to automate, that's the mindset they bring into that conversation. And some vendors are smart enough to check them and be like, okay, we need to like completely reset your mindset to make this productive. And then others just want to close the deal. And then people are unhappy with the result and you have to fix it afterwards. And that's something that we have all the time. People come to us and they're like, well, why wasn't this implemented correctly? And we're like, well, hold up. That's another vendor. And then also like, did you have these conversations? Like, were you just thinking like, we have to do this because we've now committed and so we're going to automate everything? Did you actually like talk amongst your team, gather data? Like, it's a very interesting thing, which I get where it comes from, but I think a lot of people need to be more candid in the process and more honest about it. 
they're they're not going to be Ashley because like there's a there's an it like perverse incentive to oversell and underdeliver. That's why every time we show up to these meetings, we're the third or fourth vendor that these folks have gone through, and they've been like beaten down. It is <laughs> you said this last week. I said I said to people like we're never the first boyfriend, right? Like we're always the the third or fourth relationship, and there's all this baggage and hurt and pain, and we have to sit there and talk. And I. You know, we're more therapists than we are like tech solution providers. We have to be realistic and cognizant that a lot of folks will just lie, right? And 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 it's hard to say, you know, no, we don't want your business because that's not possible within the budget that you want, right? And and that's a tough decision to make. And and that's one of the benefits of not being venture backed and the fact that we've built this business from scratch and built it into a profitable business is that we are not reliant on the numbers on how many clients we have. It's how much money and profitable partnerships can we build as opposed to just pure numbers play of, of trying to get every client and logo that they can. I like talking to you, Marlene and, and, and Greg, about this because like you guys have a realistic view. Being on the inside and seeing how bad it is when like these vendors come out and all they want to do is to, is sell you the moon but by the time you get there, a year and a half later and political capital spent aside, you're left with nothing and just complaints. Anyways. To turn the tables, I'd be curious to know y'all's thoughts on that lawyer laziness or just dealing with vendors and trying to figure out who's candidate or not. I, I think, uh, you know, the proof is in the pudding, so, so to speak, in that when you get a product, you actually get a product in front of you that you get to test. Uh, Wow, you really see see it warts and all uh, on there, and you know things like taking you know two to five minutes to answer one question and then not being able to answer uh, to ask a follow up. That really affects the view, you know, kind of bursts the bubble. So I, you know, I think one of the things that we're seeing is a lot of over promising and under delivering, and that it it won't cause another AI winner because I think. We, you know, this is this is one the first time that this is really real from the consumer side of uh, side of things. Um, but you know, if if you keep over promising and under delivering, that has a long term effect for the for the next <laughs> next boyfriend that comes along. And I'll say that it's kind of been a mix in, in my experience. It's like you know, I, I've seen that there's a lot of interest. From, from attorneys and asking a lot of good questions, being very thoughtful. But as, as we talked about earlier, when it kind of comes down to, okay, we need to decide on what do we want it to do? And, and you have, again, you have a lot of different people with a lot of different opinions. And, you know, that's, you know, that's part of the decision-making process, but it, but it is kind of messy. And in terms of, of vendors, um, you know, again, a mix. I've, I've seen some vendors that are, you know, very candid um, about things. And then I've seen some others where, um, you know, you do get the sense that, uh, you know, you're not getting a clear answer. Um, and that is is indeed frustrating. I mean, it must be hard for, for, for both of you because you're fielding these questions and then there's, you know, other information online that, you know, <laughs> this goes back to the whole like self-diagnosing thing when you go to your doctor. Like they're saying like, oh, well, you know, it can do this. Like, why don't I have access to it? And then you have to sit there and say like, well, one, our clients won't let us just feed it a bunch of their data. That's one, right? Two, 
it's not perfect, right? And I I know in a in a perfect world you'd have something that can automate the tedious parts of your job, but some of it is required. I don't know if we've already talked about it on this podcast, but in conversations I've had this discussion with other engineers before. I said like I think our approach at adopting AI is very biased because we've done the work before, right? Everybody here knows the thought process that needs to go into determining whether or not a contract provision is valid or whether or not a specific case citation makes sense. The younger generations don't have those neural pathways. So where do they start? And how do they determine whether or not an output is good or bad? They still need to do the work to build those muscles and, 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 and those neural pathways. And I, that's what worries me the most is like, Yes, there, you know, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, right? Like, yes, there is a lot of tedious stuff that we've had to do, but some of it is part of the training. Like some of it is like, I read the case, right? I didn't wait for the summer. I read the entire thing. And then I figured out how to interpret it. And that's what worries me about folks that try to oversell the AI is I think that it's a disservice to a good chunk of the younger generations because they don't know how to, how to do the actual work before they automate it. It's like, I, it's like I tell my kids, it's like, you know, it's, it's okay to be bored sometimes because, you know, that, that basically leads to, to creativity and, and coming up with good solutions and learning stuff. So we're talking about like all the things, you know, we're, we're, we're being real critical on, on Gen AI, but, you know, let's, let's turn it around and be like, you know, when is it actually useful? Um, you know, I think we, you know, Tony, you might've hinted sort of at an assistant type of, of role, um, you know, is that one or is there some other ones that, that you or, and Ashley can think of? For, for me, I think of it in the stuff that we build, right? Our, our team builds is like second brain activity, which is, uh, you know, stuff that I suck at remembering or that I hate having to do that feels tedious. For example, like searching through my email or having to set up reminders to send additional emails. I, I'm sure everyone here has used Gmail. And when it reminds me, hey, you didn't respond to this email three days ago, like those are the types of AI features that I find super helpful. And then on the more on the contract drafting side, it never gets it right, but it gives me inspiration in terms of like how I should approach a uh, provision or it gives me a list of things to think about, uh, sort of like a checklist. So th those are good use cases for me in terms of the gen AI applications in, in, in the legal industry. To add on to that, because I, I get to be privy to a lot of these conversations that you have with our clients or potential clients, um, you know, obviously the case sex example, I explained how like research, data extraction, it can it can do those things, brainstorming, admin tasks. Um, I was on a panel on Monday where we went through and people were saying um, how they're using it kind of in a law firm in business context or in brainstorming, um, not really legal work product. And I think that trend will continue. Tony, I don't know if you would mind getting into this, but one thing that I've found helpful, Tony explaining to our team and potential clients is it's not that Gen AI is bad or not useful, but you have to know how the model is set up just like on a second grade level so that you can understand where it is limited, especially in regards to making legal work product. It's good in research because it's a statistical model, which Tony can go into. But in regards to creating consistent documentation, which as you know, Lawyers try to act like we invent a new cool thing every day. Really, it is like quality control and consistency is what keeps us at the top of our job. That is not what it's built for. So I think that is something that is a common misconception we have to work through with people is 
if you want new ideas or, you know, not really creative, but as creative as today, I can be ideas. Sure. But if you're looking for quality control, this is not that because it is, I don't know, Tony, a statistical model. I don't know how you would sum it up, but I think people are very surprised by that. No, I, I think you got it perfectly, Ashley. Yeah. What I would say is Marlene, you know, bring it back to your kids, not to single them out, but I'm sure that there are situations where you ask them to do something multiple times, right? Like, Hey, you know, do you uh, live in my house? I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> where you're like, Hey, take out the trash. And they, they took out the trash where there's a bag of trash sitting next to the trash can and they didn't take that out either. And you're like, no, he really does take live in my, trash. he really does live in my house. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Right. No, I've, 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 uh, I've got siblings. Um, and then you go out to the trash and you're like, they took out the trash and put it next to the trash can, not inside the trash can. And at some point you're like, it would have been faster had I just done it myself. And so the goal of talking to your kids about it is like, the goal is eventually they will do it themselves, right? Like, and I think that that's ultimately a good goal for Genfe AI is if you give it enough data, then it'll figure out how to do it correctly years the next from, time. Years from now, it'll get it right. <laughs> exactly, exactly. If, you know, at some point you're just like, I'll just take out the trash myself, right? When like, it doesn't as, benefit me anymore, they'll figure it out then, you know? Exactly. So there, there is that cost analysis that gets done a lot. And when we talk to clients, there many clients are like, we don't, you know, we're glad that you don't uh, focus uh, your sales pitch on AI because like we won't take a product that, that sells us AI because we've gone through all the iterations and we're sick of it. We know exactly what we want. We want you to build it. And then we want you to tell us what it can or can't do in the future, but we don't care about the training of, of how to take out the trash. Like we needed to take out the trash today. Ashley, before we get to our crystal ball question, I want you to put back on your CMO hat because I've talked with a number of CMOs and law firms that really love some of the, some of the summarization, some of the idea generation. Um, has there been any specific examples where you've used it with your CMO hat on? Yeah, I think it's very interesting. And I think in legal marketing circles, people are trying to figure out new use cases all the time. Obviously, for content, for brainstorming, it's good. I think Google has gone back and forth on how it SEO ranks automated versus unautomated content and how that flags. So I think a lot of people are staying tuned to make sure they're just up to date on that, because the last thing you want to do is, you know, get dependent on ChatGPT to create a lot of content and then it not actually show up in the rankings. For now, it's fine. But I think that has been a big discussion point. But I will say it's not as good as if a lawyer was writing it or a legal marketing professional was writing it. So it really depends on kind of what your end goal is. But when you have a large volume of stuff to do, it, it is helpful, you know. So I think we do use it for brainstorming and for content. But like Tony said, I've had to really work with the prompts to make sure that I'm giving it enough info. Because if you do not give it enough info, it is the most vanilla, diluted, airhead content you could find on the Internet. <laughs> It is, it is, it's general. It's gen, It's very generic, um, you know, so it's a good base, but I often wonder sometimes having that base is a bit of a crutch and then it's like, okay, I don't actually get as creative as I would have been if I had done it myself. All right, so crystal ball question now. So you guys know the drill. We ask uh, our guests to look, uh, you know, two to five years into the future and you know, tell us what uh, you think you see in terms of, of generative AI. Yeah, but but since we may have you back on in six months, let's, let, <laughs> let, let's just maybe uh, we'll shorten it. We'll shorten, shorten it for you a little bit. Hashley, you want to take a first stab? 
Sure. I'll just go kind of, obviously it's predictions, um, so it's fun. We don't know exactly. I guess we'll find out. But I think for our team, kind of what we're predicting, which I kind of alluded to, was the hype cycle dies down and people are just focusing on tech literacy and knowing what AI is. And so I guess our hope is that that just sustains. Um, Also, I think, like you said, we're going to be in another chapter of the buy-build partner phenomenon with legal tech, which has kind of plagued our industry for a long time, but this time with many models or coupling kind of these large LLMs with um, specialized legal products with AI, it's going to be a whole new phase for our industry. And I'm just curious to see how that pans out, because as you guys probably very much know, a lot of lawyers think like, oh, we can build that. We can hire someone to build that. And then they get bored (laughs) and then they come to us and then Tony and our team has to clean up their mess. So I think unfortunately for better or for worse, we might have that again, just with different AI problems. And Tony, what's, what's your prediction? That, I mean, I, I hate to, I hate to jump on that bandwagon, but I, I think that's exactly it. Um, also, you hate to say that I'm right. So I'm glad this <laughs> too. I don't know. He's, he said you're right a he's number pretty, of times. He's been good about it today. I know, but I have this on record. It's <laughs> so exciting. We'll just, we'll, s- we'll send you a loop right, of like, it. Yeah. All, all the compliments, <laughs> we'll just put it on a loop and send it to you. <laughs> Greg and Marlene, do people ever ask you what you think? I mean, obviously, I know you have a lot of these conversations and they vary different parts of, you know, the industry. But in regards to AI, what do yeah, you think? We, de- we debate stuff all the time, you know, just just internally. And, and you know, our, the attorneys come and they, they you know, they want to know and they want they want feedback from, you know, the innovation group as to, OK, well, what should we, we be doing? What do you recommend? So. Yeah, there's a lot of, you know, there's there's a lot of that type of conversation going on, I think. Yeah, and I, I would say probably one of the things that I'm, I'm hoping will happen over the next six months to a year is that even if this isn't the answer to their question, that because of the hype going on around here, they're going to ask questions that they, you know, they're going to come to you and say, Hey, I need I need uh, you know Chat GPT because that's what everybody calls it. I need Chat GPT to you know to, to do X, Y, and Z because uh, you know I'm having I'm having trouble. I need to, I need to make that more efficient. And then as we get into you know, discussing it, then we realize well, really, what you're doing you have a data issue or you have a process issue, and it gives us a chance then to you know if we're not the right people, at least direct them. But, you know, one of the benefits that, that I've loved so far is that it's gotten the conversation going um, when it may not have got, gotten going before. I'm sorry. I had Matt. another question. Um, oh, go ahead, Tony. You were going to answer. Sorry. I want to hear that question, but uh, I have like a side prediction that will probably put egg on my face. I love mind. side predictions. But I'll say it anyways. All right. Um, we, we, will, we will bookmark this in, in, in the transcript. I predict that with Gen AI and the kind of magnifying glass that goes on uh, legal tech and just efficiency in general, that some major firms are going to move towards a flat rate model in the next 12 to 18 months, which I know we've been talking about for over three decades now, but I actually think that that's going to start to have to be a thing uh, because the the client awareness is just there. Right. That, that's the, that's the part of the conversation that um, that the firms have to stay up to, to today on. Yeah, that wasn't my question, although we have talked about that as well um, internally. That, like this might be the thing that pushes that pushes us over the edge. Um, 
my question was about prompt engineering and, you know, do you see any opportunities, um, you know, for this type of role in, in firms or in other places? And, you know, what types of, of folks do you think would be, you know, would be sort of moving into those roles? I think it's a, it's a skill set that gets added to existing uh, legal professionals. I, I can't imagine having the need to have a, have like a full-time person on it. Yeah, I, I can't, I can't see that pathway, but I am seeing a lot of that pop up with their, even our clients that they have like open job postings for prompt engineers to help them with it. But I think the major question is like, what's the long-term use case for them? You know, once they've engineered these prompts, then what? Is right, it like, like, you... like being a webmaster in, in 1994? <laughs> oh, I love that reference. Heck yeah. Well, Tony Tai and Ashley Carlisle from Hyperdraft, we want to thank you for coming back on. You want to do this again in January? I'm down. <laughs> Always down. Let's do it. All right. And thanks to all of you, our listeners, for taking the time to listen to the Geek and Review podcast. If you enjoy the show, share it with a colleague. We'd love to hear from you, so reach out to us on social media. I can be found at M on Twitter. And I can still be reached on Twitter at Glambert, but I'm finding myself more and more Are over you on, on threads? threads. Yeah, I'm on, okay. on threads. So I'm at uh, Gla- I did join. Glambert Pod. So the same Glambert, but with pod on the end. Somebody beat you to Glambert? Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, it's because it was Instagram. So someone on Instagram beat me to it. And so you got to take your handle from Instagram. Instagram. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so, well, Tony and Ashley, if anyone wants to c- learn more about Hyperdrive, or uh, continue the conversation with you. Uh, Tony, where can you be reached? So they can join our wait list on our website, <laughs> www. He's like, I'm not saying a word. I, I like that. I <laughs> wish this is time where I wish it was video. I oh wish it was gosh, video. Oh my gosh, that would have been great. So, so okay, <laughs> let me let me rephrase that. Ashley, where can you where can people find out more? <laughs> so if people want to learn more, uh, talk more about AI or document or workflow automation or really anything legal tech, we get a lot of random questions, happy to answer. Um, they can either join our waitlist on our website, www.hyperdraft.ai. Um, they can follow us along on LinkedIn. We're Hyperdraft Inc. there and on all other social media platforms. Or they can just email us. I'm Ashley at hyperdraft.ai. And Tony, similarly, is Tony at hyperdraft.ai. And listeners, you can also leave us a voicemail on our Geek and Review hotline at 713-487-7821. And as always, the music you hear is from Jerry David DeSicca. Thank you, Jerry. Thanks, Jerry. And Jerry has a new album out. Oh, terrific. Well, we'll have to talk about that in the next one. All right. All right. Talk to you guys later. Bye-bye.